Oh, hi. I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. Imagine a calm harbor. A lot of boats. And all these boats, they pull up their anchors. Nothing happens. Then a storm comes. What happens? A lot of bad stuff to those boats. This will all make sense very shortly. Stacy. Yes, we're going to look at some lessons from history. And if the lessons of history are to apply to today, that you should buy gold, buy silver, and buy Bitcoin. Because there's always like this calm before the collapse. Everything seems fine. Uh, you expect that Marie Antoinette is going to keep her head every day, uh, that Tsar Nicholas is going to reign just as the Romanovs have reigned for 300 years, until suddenly they don't. All the calm before the storm happens. So I want to look at some of the stories over the past week or two as this coronavirus hit, as um, you know, a lot of the, as we've covered, the Baltic Dry Index, copper, all the real economy collapsing, stock markets booming in America. So there's all sorts of like conflicting, chaotic sort of symbols going on. But there's some really uh, telling details in some of the stories that happened during the time. Now, I said history lesson, so we're going to start in school. This is a story from Toronto. Teachers stay home as Toronto school struggles to quell coronavirus fears. Fear and confusion over the coronavirus have caused chaos at a Toronto private high school made up entirely of Chinese international students with teachers refusing to show up in class and some students being sent to the local hospital. There's no evidence of anyone at the school having contracted the virus and five students sent to Scarborough Health Network Birchmont Hospital on Friday have been cleared. Let's get back to my boats and anchors, right? After the 29 crash, the government put in a lot of anchors to the financial system. They introduced Glass-Steagall. They introduced the Securities Act of 33 and 34. There was gold as an anchor. And over the past 20, 30, 40 years, we've had deregulation. We've had a removal of any connection to gold. And as the crisis gets more and more, we have more deregulation. And we have less of an anchor. And we have less tethered to something of substance. And now in 2020, we have a global potential pandemic here and people's fear is compounded by the fact that nothing in the global economy is anchored to anything of solidity and so you have this mushrooming paranoia fed by disorientation in a world bereft of any kind of solid anchor and it's only going to get more chaotic it is a good analogy you have said this and so is jim rickards that the pandemic in the health and medical system can be uh, compared to pandemic in the financial system. So in 2007 to 2008, 2009, remember we had a liquidity crisis. Nobody knew if any of these derivatives were worth anything. So all banks, all products, all trade, all liquidity stopped because nobody knew what was uh, safe and what wasn't. Here is the same thing. Uh, the hospitals in Toronto are saying people are showing up in the emergency room without any symptoms at all. They're just showing up saying, do I have the coronavirus? And they don't have a, a fever. They don't have a runny nose. They haven't been to China. They haven't encountered anybody from China, but they're terrified of this. The same thing happens in the financial markets. When people show up, is, is, is this the equivalent of the coronavirus, this derivative that you're trying to sell me, this package of mortgage-backed securities? We don't know what it is. And the financial media has engaged in wholesale misinformation and lying 
and accounting fraud is rampant in the S&P 500. So people now are trained not to believe what they hear, not to believe what they see, particularly as the economy has become mostly financialized. And so we rely on those types of numbers to understand what the anchor is to anything, and that's all been proven to be false. So when a crisis like this happens in the virus space, in the medical space, people are already trained not to believe a single thing they see or hear on TV because they know that it's completely false. And going back to 2008, when there was a global financial crisis, because there was a complete disconnect between anything of anchoring the global economy like gold, the policymakers in Washington, like Obama's cadre, Timothy Geithner and those guys, they had that boat. There's no anchor. Instead of weighing anchor, instead of putting the, instead of lowering the anchor and to try to get back to reality, they said, here's the solution. We're going to build wings on our boat and we're going to fly the boat into the derivatives sphere. Right. So there's this flying boat out there supported by derivatives. And it's, you know, it's not working. So we saw a lot of videos emerge from China. We saw people being locked into their apartments, a whole buildings being surrounded by police and military. Uh, that equivalent happened in the financial system in the United States in 2008. We quarantined all of these products, whatever they were, whether they were good or bad, in the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. It should have been just as stark, and it still is stark. The fact is that it's still quarantined on the Fed's balance sheet. We don't know with this next financial crisis, should it happen in this week, next month, next year, a few years from now. But when it does come, and as it will have to come, because all we do is boom and bust now. We don't do like normal business cycles. We do boom and bust. So now that we've quarantined, the rest of the economy is vulnerable to it. Larry Summers is the new Icarus. All of his advising governments on how to make boats fly into the stratosphere is not working. Well, of course, that's also comparing that analogy to the financial markets is that's why they say when there's blood in the streets is when there's the best time to invest because, of course, everybody does doubt. Everybody does show up at the emergency room. I think my product is, is sick. I think my product is faulty. I think my stock price, you know, that whatever the entire entity of my company, McDonald's, Tesla, you know, Boeing, Exxon, whatever the company is, everybody thinks it's all sick and they sell everything. So in that time there will be some that aren't that are perfectly fine and perfectly healthy now expats across china flee as virus fears mount this was in the early days of the quarantine and again this is part of that deglobalization everything is just in time and this is all great and you know the past is like predicting the future that things have been going so well trade with china is going well stock prices always go up everything's perfect until suddenly you realize that, wait, none of the stuff around me, um, maybe it isn't as ordered and structured and um, absent of any black swans. So you see what happened in China was that some foreigners feared being trapped indefinitely as airlines cancel flights and countries quarantine or limit entry for people who have recently set foot in the country. Meanwhile, many of the costly private clinics catering to foreigners have started to turn people with fevers away. Raising concerns among the expat community, they would have to rely on local facilities if they needed medical care. So there is this top 1%, the top 10%, the globalized uh, traveling sort of uh, intellectual knowledge working class and they think it's all they're, they're all safe and this is going to be fine and they could travel and live wherever they want until suddenly they're trapped and stranded overseas and where they can't speak the language and they thought their private 
posh clinic was going to be there for them, and then suddenly it's not. I know, that would have been cool if that happened in Davos. Like, suddenly they got cut off from uh, all kind of uh, modern conveniences, medical assistance, and even food. And then all these billionaires and world leaders and influencers and all would have resorted to cannibalism and uh, eating rats and, uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, I, th I would have paid to see that. That would have been funny. But, of course, um, this is also a good analogy for anybody out there who thinks, like, well, I'm American, or I'm, I'm uh, middle class, or I'm upper middle class. I'm a doctor. I make two hundred thousand a year. Uh, I'm like much better than all of my neighbors. I make more than them. Uh, the Fed's gonna take care of me, right? So at the end of the day, there's only a few select people, party members, that get taken care of, and you're probably not one of them. If you're sitting at that poker table and think you're gonna be the one treated by the private Fed, uh, you know the private Fed's gonna take care of Goldman Sachs, they're gonna take care of J.P. Morgan, they're gonna take care of Citibank and Bank of America. They're not gonna take care of you, they're not gonna take care of your local bank, and anything like that, perhaps and probably. Well, having lived as an expat myself in different countries around the world for decades, over over the years, you know that U.S. passport doesn't really work like a magic trick, right? Once you are stuck in a foreign country and you are not able to exercise the rights to come with your U.S. passport, you know you you have a big like wake up call. Uh, the rest of the world is a lot different. You know, in America takes a lot of stuff for granted. Uh, here, uh, it's easy street. Even the poor people in America, I mean, compared to other poor people, they're living like kings. Of course, with the last week or the past two weeks when they did um, f fly planes there to go help expats out of the country, it was only the U.S. one where you had to pay big bucks to get on the plane. The French and the Europeans and the Brits sent uh, free planes to go collect their citizens. But I also want to look at another story that um, from history, and there's no uh, more important document in history than the Magna Carta. And this is really important to the whole Bitcoin space and to all the stories about deglobalization, depopulation, de-dollarization. Because one thing we've been talking about with de-dollarization is that the U.S. dollar is part of the reason why people are de-dollarizing is because the weaponization of the U.S. dollar and the, and the increasing use of sanctions against even allied nations like Germany. So here was a story a British man found guilty of trying to steal priceless Magna Carta. Now, he said he thought it was fake, but it was real. It was in Salisbury Cathedral. But there was a line in there, of course, that reminded me of how important it is to today, because we think everything is stable. We think everything is going to continue as it is, that the U.S. empire is the mightiest empire in history, and nothing will stop it, and nothing can replace the dollar. But remember, the Magna Carta in June 2015, the despotic King John accepted the demands of rebellious barons to curb his powers and agreed to the charter at Runnymede, a meadow by the River Thames west of London. So here was a despotic king who had all sort of power, and he took too much power. He was too capricious, and he was too... Uh, you know, violent towards his allies, the barons, and they, he finally had to give the rights that are now the, basically the, led to the Enlightenment, all, all the rights of liberty that we have. But because he went too far, he abused his power, he had to give up his power. And I think that's what, again, I'm sure he thought he and his heirs and for the next several hundred years would continue to be able to be despotic until they weren't. I guess the confusing bit today is that the property that was amassed by monarchs in the past has re been replaced by mindshare by our tech monarchs of the present. They own our minds, essentially, a big part of our minds. 
And it's hard to fight against that because you have to know your own mind. I mean, you have to go back all the way back 2,700 years ago to Socrates and the ancient philosophers to regain your mind. And I recommend anybody who's looking to regain familiarity with their own mind to start reading Socrates and other of the philosophers who had the same problems back then and they cured them, they fixed them by inventing something called philosophy. And in the last 30 oh, seconds yeah. here, I want to say that, uh, you know, it, the ironic thing is, of course, the Magna Carta defined our rights in paper. And this guy, including in that paper, was that you would be tried by a jury of your peers. And this guy was found guilty by a jury of his peers. So it was quite uh, fitting. That's ironic. Yeah, plus it's already on the blockchain. So what's the point, buddy? I guess that's going to do it for this particular portion of the show. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, much more coming your way. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to turn to Alistair McLeod of goldmoney.com. Full disclosure, I am an investor in gold money. Alistair, welcome back. It's my pleasure, Max. January 2020 is over. And uh, your thoughts on 2020 so far, Alistair? What's your big picture? There's a local picture here. We've got independence. I have to say, this is my second Independence Day. The first was when I was a teenager in Kenya, um, when we gave Kenya independence. And now we've got independence from the EU. So Brexit is done and dusted. And all we've got to do is set out the terms of trade. And that will be done by the end of this year. Either no deal, well, effectively, WTO terms, or the EU will come up with something. Meanwhile, we're negotiating with everyone else that we can negotiate with. I reckon it's about two-thirds of the world's economy by GDP. And uh, so for this country, it's exciting. But, and there's always a but, the problem is that the credit cycle is on the turn, and we know what happens when the credit cycle turns you get contracting bank credit or a tendency for it to contract, you get central banks panicking, you get commercial banks going out of business, getting rescued, you get unemployment rising, and so on. So that really is the global background against which our wonderful new post-Brexit environment will develop. Well, let's focus on the credit cycle there for a second. So. Um, sure, I guess you could say the credit cycle has turned, but there doesn't seem to be any, any shortage of credit. Uh, you know, you've got the uh, repo market expanding by trillions and trillions of dollars, and you've got a response to the, to the coronavirus in China, uh, Chinese government injecting trillions and trillions. I mean, there's no end to the trillions of dollars. And, of course, now you've got $4 trillion companies. You've got uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Apple, whose combined market capitalization, I might add, is approximately three times that of Great Britain and growing. Congratulations on uh, being not quite as big as a big American company, Alistair. But nevertheless, uh, moving on. Um, so we've got a lot of money being in injected into the system. How, when's the turn going to come in the credit cycle? All I see is lots and lots of credit, Alistair. What you're seeing is the response, uh, the, the anticipation, if you like, from central banks. They think, my goodness, things are not good. We'd better puff it up to stop it falling over. So what you're seeing is credit 
or not credit, but money coming out of the central banks. It's print, 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 print. We cannot afford a credit cycle to turn negative. Uh, so that's what they're doing. And you're right to mention coronavirus. I mean, it's shutting down the Chinese economy, which is the second largest in the world. And on a PPP uh, basis, it is actually the largest in the world. And uh, what happens? We just ignore it. I mean, the world has gone mad. And today, as we speak, Wall Street is up, or the Dow is up 400 plus. Um, you know, I mean, look, it's, it is absolutely bizarre. You're absolutely right to mention uh, repo. The repos uh, today are twice what they were on any day last week. It's getting worse. The liquidity shortage is getting worse. And that is despite an extra five and a half trillion dollars of money in the system post uh, uh, Lehman. So we've already, I mean, we've already consumed that credit. Uh, so things are getting tight and tough. We see the Baltic dry index at new lows. Money velocity is at new lows. Oil is down substantially. Copper is at incredibly low prices, 13 straight down days. And so what's, what we don't have is a physical world anymore upon which to base an economy. We have a virtual world. I mean, take the case of Tesla, right? Tesla is a company that sells electric cars. It's worth now 120 or $130 billion. It's up over 400% in the last six months, the stock price that is. And my point that I make about Tesla is that it's a great brand and they could sell virtual Teslas on a blockchain for the same $60,000 that they sell real Teslas on to drive around town with. It's still a great brand. We're in a virtual world. Why the stock could easily be worth a trillion dollars because it's all brand driven. There's no there, there, right, Alistair? So uh, there's no end to the money printing. There's no end because at zero percent interest rates and without a gold standard, and you don't need copper anymore. You don't need workers anymore. You don't need wages anymore. You just need this open spigot of free cash from the central banks. And I don't see that closing as I've been arguing for five years now. Every time somebody tells me the bond market's peaking, the stock market's peaking, I say, well, who's, who's closing the taps? Who's closing all the free money from the Fed? I don't see that happening. And I don't see that happening today, Alistair. The problem is that if you print money, then basically you change the purchasing power of the money that you're printing. And so far, they've managed to conceal that effect through uh, inventing something called the uh, Consumer Price Index, which bears no relation at all to what ha what's happening in prices. Prices in America are falling. Sorry, the purchasing power of the dollar in America is falling by roughly 10% per annum, and nobody bothers to notice. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy situation. And um, I think there is something more dangerous in the whole thing. I I recently wrote an article, which I'd researched very thoroughly before I did, to find a parallel with what's happening now with some time in the past. And surprisingly, what I came up with was the John Law Mississippi bubble. The key point to understand is that we are ramping uh, uh, financial asset prices, including bonds, equities, at the same time as the currency is being printed to ramp them. Now, the problem is that if you link these two things together, then one falls, they both fall. So what we're likely to see at some stage, and I 
don't think it's far away. When markets turn, it'll start undermining the value of the dollar big time. And then the whole thing goes into reverse. You will have a real problem with government uh, uh, financing because they are in a debt trap. I mean, already something like 40% of uh, uh, the budget deficit is um, committed to paying interest on existing debt. Um, just imagine what happens if uh, the US government is forced to borrow not at um, uh, 15 to 2%, but 3 4 5%. That is quite likely by this year end the way things are deteriorating. So what I'm saying is that not only are we likely to set, be setting ourselves up for a crash in, uh, um, in financial markets, but also it will undermine fiat currencies. Now that is a very, very important point to understand. I liken it to uh, what we saw in Iceland. You remember back in 2008 or so, the Icelandic banks were lending money to themselves to buy stock in themselves and it was a huge Ponzi scheme. And then when one side of the equation cracked, the whole thing cracked open and Iceland went into an unbelievable contraction. And so we're seeing this on a global scale. Banks effectively are lending money to themselves to buy stock in themselves. Uh, you mentioned that the purchasing power of the currency is going down with all this money printing. That's true. There's a bit of a more nuanced answer, though, and that would involve the Cantillon effect because although the purchasing power is declining in aggregate, the fact is that the recipients of that printed money first in line who get that printed money become these trillion dollar behemoths, become the new monarchical class. And we have a new world of monarchs. You're familiar with that, of course, over there in England. Uh, thank God you got rid of all the unelected officials in the EU, so you can uh, now have your unelected official in the Queen Elizabeth. But that's another story. But, but my point being, uh, Alistair, that um, you've got uh, a monarchical class emerging, and why don't they just... I see in, in England they are reducing hours on some of the trading exchanges. Why don't they just continue reducing hours on all exchanges and just and just box people out the free market enterprise we don't need them just go private just go private just go full monarchy right you already got one over there you're already ready for it that's what brexit's all about you're ready for it so why not just have every country go full monarchy at this point alistair why not i suppose <laughs> but I, ser seriously i cannot see there's any way out of the dilemma in, within which we put ourselves the central banks have really got in their terms, no option but to keep the system propped up. And that's just going to mean print, print, print. Uh, I can't see where the alternative is. So we will end up in a worse crisis as a result. I don't think they're managing to delay this crisis. The idea that you could kick the cow on the road, which we've all been talking about since the Lehman crisis, that is now coming to an end. I think the whole situation is actually very, very serious. Well, let's uh, talk about the gold market for a second. So. Now, we've got uh, the official gold reserves on the nation state level are now just 10% below their all-time high of 38,491 tons, which they achieved in 1966. Uh, for the last 20 years now, they've been aggressively buying gold, principally China and Russia and other countries have been buying lots and lots of gold. So in a world of this fiat money where they're just printing by the trillions and Tesla is hoping to sell virtual cars in cyberspace for $50,000 a pop on the blockchain. 
Are these central banks missing the point? I mean, what are they going to do with all this heavy, worthless, nobody likes it gold, Alistair? The gold is not held in the same hands as it was when, uh, you know, we were at last time at sort of between 30 and 40,000 tons uh, of monetary gold in the central banks. In those days, it was basically um, uh, the, the, uh, the US Treasury that held it. Um, and, and the Fed had it in, on its balance sheet under a note. Uh, now, it's all, of course, it's all in Asia. A lot of it's in Asia. The, the, the central banks that have been adding are the, are the Chinese, the Russians in particular, the various stands, the Turks. Um, look at the Bank of England. What's the Bank of England done? The Bank of England hasn't bought any gold whatsoever. So we're not prepared for... Um, a loss of purchasing power of fiat currencies. We have got nothing really to back them. In theory, uh, America has, but America is hung on this Keynesian idea that we must never ever involve the pet rocks again. So, you know, there's gonna be a huge great transformation of thought process before even that gets mobilized to help back the currency. And I just don't see that happening. In fact, Britain sold half of its gold, more than 300 tons under Gordon Brown, former chancellor of the Exchequer, in some dodgy deal with Goldman Sachs, as I recall, to bail out somebody somewhere. But yeah, you guys are way, woefully underprepared for the fiat apocalypse. But uh, thank God uh, you've got your independence. Now, Alistair, we're going to have to uh, carry this over to a second scintillating episode. So uh, thanks for being on this episode. That's very much my pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Alistair McLeod of goldmoney.com. If you want to reach us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all.